What Do You Do? A Delusional Soccer Podcast. What Do You Do? A Soccer Delusion shared by two brothers in close association. All right, well, welcome in. You're listening to Footy Ado. We're doing things, switching things up with uh, Jared getting ready to travel uh, back to California today from New Jersey. So, uh, well, he's he's busy getting ready for his uh, his cross-country flight. Um, we thought we would bring someone else on to discuss the end of the Premier League season. Um, this is not a, not a week where we could have taken off and just kind of sat back and waited for Jared to settle back in in California. But um, we are joined today by a writer for uh, Last Word on Football, where you can find some of my some of my work on there as well. Um, we're joined by Alex Ayling. You can find him on Twitter at Alexander Ayling. Welcome in, Alex. Hi, thank you so much. Great to be here. Thanks for uh, coming on. Thanks for, you know, filling in for us this week. We really appreciate that. Um we're going to get right into it. We're going to start with uh, what happened yesterday as far as the top four race goes. Um, and, you know, there was three teams battling for two spots, two of which were playing each other on the final day. You don't quite get those uh, stakes on final day every year, so you, it's a pretty exciting um, finish to the season taken into consideration, um, you know, all that was going on with European qualification. Uh, Chelsea beat Wolves 2-0, two goals in uh, stoppage time in the first half, and you know they, they cruised on from there, um, but actually end up finishing in fourth. Um, I, I think out of, the, out of Chelsea and United who did qualify, Chelsea definitely were one of the more deserving teams, I'd say, just because they, they had been they, they had, had a level of consistency all season long. Um, so, uh, Frank Lampard in his first season gets, gets Champions League qualification. I don't know that many people expected that, but it, it looks to, to be the start of something pretty great at Chelsea, don't you think? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it's been a, a fantastic season for Chelsea. I think Frank Lampard's done a great job for them. And uh, they've certainly been consistent. They've they've had a difficult situation to come in in the first place with losing their best player to Real Madrid, uh, not signing anybody else. But they've got a good young side and they've been consistently good throughout the season. They've always been there or thereabouts and in the end, fully deserving, in my opinion, of, uh, of coming in in the top four. Now, the, the big talking point from this match was in the lineup where... Uh, the world's most expensive keeper in Kepa was dropped for the final day of the season in favor of the 38-year-old Willie Caballero. Uh, that's a, a pretty big call from Frank Lampard. Yeah, a massive call, especially with so much riding on the game. Obviously, nothing guaranteed until after full time for Chelsea. They had to get the job done. Uh, Frank Lampard decided to put his faith in, in Willie Caballero to do it instead of Kepa, who's... Uh, who's not really lived up to the price tag, not really looks like he can be a, a Chelsea's first-choice goalkeeper, a top goalkeeper for Chelsea. And so I think that is certainly a statement from the manager to the board. He, I think he wants a new goalkeeper. And uh, if uh, if they can bring someone in this summer, then uh, I'm sure Frank Lampard will be, will be looking to get that done. Yeah, and that'll be on top of the, the transfer deals that they've already made. You know, they have Timo Werner and Hakim Ziyech coming in, uh, as well as the rumour of Kai Havertz joining in um, 
and those those rumors are really picking up steam now. So uh, they could be really uh, cementing themselves as one of the better attacking sides, but uh, that goalkeeper at the back, that, that situation needs to be dealt with. Um, and you'd have to think that, that Willie gets to start in the FA Cup final as well for Chelsea. Yeah, I think so. I think Caballero has been the uh, the cup goalkeeper for Chelsea. He's performed well. Uh, put came in for that final league game. Didn't put a foot wrong. And so I think we'll see we'll see Caballero start in that cup final as well. Now the the game that I paid attention to for the most part on the final day, although I did switch back back and forth between a couple of games, um, but this one Manchester United away to Leicester City. Um, United only needed a draw. Um, to, to qualify for the Champions League, but they end up getting a 2-0 win. It was a penalty. Um, you know, Manchester United, they do get a lot of penalties this one. Uh, you can you can go ahead and say it was fair, but uh, Bruno Fernandes scores the penalty, and then, uh, of all people, Jesse Lingard makes it 2-0 eight minutes into stoppage time in the second half. Yeah, um, I think a lot, a lot's been made of Man United getting a lot of penalties. I do think with uh, with the first season of VAR coming in in the Premier League, that that Premier League record for penalties given to a club in a season was always going to be broken. When uh, everything that happens in the box is uh, is analysed in so much detail, um, Man United have have benefited from that. Bruno Fernandez puts it away really well uh, with that great penalty technique that he has. Jesse Lingard finally uh, off the mark for the season, right when the club needed him to step up. And uh, so well done to him and uh, United have, have snuck in there as well after a really good second half of the season for them. Yeah, it seems like they sat in fifth place for so long, but um, we've been talking about how good their form is, and it, you know, especially since Fernandez came in. And now, post-restart, we've gotten to see uh, Fernandez and Paul Pogba link up pretty well, but uh, Mason Greenwood has been fantastic as well for them. So they have a lot to be excited about going forward. Um what do you think are some areas that they they will uh, need to improve on next season to really not maybe even if it's not to make a title push, but even if it's to make Liverpool and Man City a bit more uncomfortable? Um, well, I think for, first and foremost for United, getting into that Champions League is really important, and uh, you could argue that they uh, they they threw away the FA Cup semi final in order to do that with the team selection, but it gives them a platform to make a lot of improvements, um, get some good signings in as well, and. Uh, I think they'll be looking really for squad depth uh, in order to take them to the next level to help them to keep improving because they've got a good... Uh, I think their manager seems to have settled on a good starting eleven, but beyond that, there's not a lot there that he trusts that he can call upon. And so he'll be looking for, for one or two good signings in certain areas of the pitch. Definitely a, a right winger, I think, for them will be important. Perhaps one or two new centre-backs as well because they're not, not too convincing defensively. And similar to Chelsea, I do think there there may be one or two question marks over the goalkeeping department for them as well. So we'll see what they do in the summer. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of question marks, like you said, on the bench for United. Like, to, if you take a look at at who they had on the bench in an attacking sense for for this match, you know, they have Juan Mata, who's good. Pat, he's past his prime, but he's still a, yeah. a decent player. But um, you know, Jesse Lingard, obviously, we can't can't uh, give him too much stick right now considering he did get a goal. But, you know, Daniel James hasn't really done anything since August. And Odie Nogalo is their backup striker option that they have on the bench. So you definitely could see them improve it for at least a bit of rotation um, with the, the Champions League games coming in. 
Yeah, with the players that you mentioned, if any one of those players has to come in, um, whether that be because of injury or any other situation, it's a massive drop-off in quality. And I think they, they'll pay the price for that because you can't, you can't go playing the same 11 week in, week out in such a long season. This season has proved that, and that's something they definitely need to address. Now, um, Leicester City had a fantastic start to the season, and it really looked like they were a shoe in for top four. But um, towards the second half of the season, they, they only won six games in their final 22 Premier League matches, and only two of those came after the restart. So two wins in nine um, post-restart in the league. Um, how disappointing is that for Leicester? I know that they're not considered to be one of the top clubs, but um, they were in a, a great position that se- it seemed tough for them to throw throw that big lead away. I agree. I think uh, they'll be feeling massively disappointed at the moment, uh, which is interesting because if he offered uh, Leicester fans at the start of the season the prospect of finishing the season in the top five, I think they'd be really happy with that. But they'd got themselves into such a great position going into December, January time. We were talking about Leicester as potentially Liverpool's closest challenges in the top two or three. Um, as it happens, they've massively fallen away. Um, and uh, going into that situation for the final match day against Man United, needing to win and not managing to get a result will be a, be a really tough one for them to take. Yeah, and I'm not one of those people who uh, who thinks that managers should get new contracts halfway through a season, but Leicester City gave Brendan Rodgers uh, an extension um, midway through the season, and do you think that played any factor in this, or is that just kind of a a coincidence? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it was massively important, because I think Brendan Rodgers definitely comes across as uh, a great professional, really motivated manager, uh, who definitely doesn't seem one to rest on his laurels. I think more so, especially their, their form since the restart has obviously been really poor. That's a continuation over the second half of the campaign. And I think they paid the price for, uh, they've lost one or two key players to injury at a really important time. Uh, suspension played a part as well with Cagliari not playing against Man United. And uh, I think in the end it just caught up with them and they just couldn't quite sustain that level that they'd hit throughout the whole season. Yeah, and you know, not having Ricardo Pereira um, yeah. and Chilwell for most of the, the games post-restart, and James Madison as well. Those those three players, for, first of all, this team losing both of their fullbacks who were two of the best fullbacks in the entire league, not the best, but they're you know up there in the conversation um, as far as form mm-hmm. went in the beginning of the season. And then James Madison had was having a brilliant season early on, and now um, you know they had to they had to finish their season without those guys, and it it really showed. But um, there there are reports now that uh, James Madison set to sign an extension um, with Leicester, and I don't see uh, Chelsea spending eighty million, which was, had been the reported fee on uh, Ben Chilwell. So maybe they get another go at this with uh, with this squad, and maybe the the pandemic kind of help them in that business sense of keeping their players. If, if they are able to do that, then that will be a massive advantage for them and they can definitely go ahead for next season and look to uh, uh, have another go at the top four. I think for them this season to lose a nucleus of really good, really important players as they did um, going into the into the running is unfortunate, but if they can keep hold of those players, uh, they do have a, a, a very good young side who can do again do very well next season as well. Now, looking towards the bottom of the table, um, we already knew Norwich were relegated um, a little bit ago, but we had to, two, it's kind of the same situation. There's three teams that it was possible and 
two were going to get it, two were going to go down, and one was going to stay up. Um, and that one that stayed up was Aston Villa, and we see both Bournemouth and Watford go down. Now, Bournemouth go down despite a 3-1 win against Everton, um, in which you know they, they got an early penalty, get ahead, get pegged back, and then Solanke scores before the half, and you think, okay, maybe... Maybe this day could turn out to be a good one for them. Um, they, you know, they add a third late, but it just the results elsewhere don't go the way they need. Um, I I feel a little bit. Uh, I feel a little not not that I don't feel sad for all the teams that are going down, but I feel sad for Bournemouth as far as you know the the size of this club and what Eddie Howe has been able to do for them. Um, it's just a little disappointing to see them go. Yeah, it is sad to see Bournemouth go down. I think Eddie Howe's done a, a brilliant job there. Um, five years in the Premier League, they stayed but weren't quite able to make it a sixth. Um, it is a shame for them. I think they they hit some really good form in the last four or five games, but it just seems to be a little bit too late for them just to salvage their season. And uh, as a result, as you mentioned, results went didn't go their way on the final day, and they just weren't quite managed, weren't quite able just to save their season right at the end. Yeah, and you know Watford were in a in a difficult situation going into the final day too, and you know, thirty three minutes in, Watford are down three nil, and it just looks it looks awful for them. You know, they do end up getting two goals back um, with you know Deeney and Welbeck, but um, it, it's not enough. They needed they needed to do more themselves and have more happen for them on the day, but. Um, I, I keep scratching my head at, at Watford's decision to, to let Nigel Pearson go. Um, we talked about it in depth last week, but it just it does not make any sense to me. Not that I'm really surprised because Watford, if anyone or if anyone's going to do this, it is Watford. But it just seemed like a, a catastrophic decision that that didn't really leave them any chance going into the final two matches. I completely agree. I thought it was a crazy, crazy decision that they made to sack Nigel Pearson, given the job that he's, he'd done there since he came in. I know they had two very tough games uh, for their final two fixtures, weren't able to get anything from any of them. And as a result, they've gone down. Uh, but even so, absolutely crazy decision to, to, to sack a, a manager that good who'd done so well there. I think it just shows, I know the, the Pozzo family, uh, uh, their owners are, are trigger happy, shall we say, anyway. But I think it does showcase just how petrified clubs were of going down this season in all seasons, given the uh, the economic ramifications of uh, of the coronavirus that they'll find themselves in. They were so, so desperate to avoid that and to stay up. And so they did make that panic decision to, to sack another manager and it, it didn't pay off for them. And they're in a real, real mess. Now, for those two teams, how how difficult is it going to be for, for the... F- I mean, it, it's difficult to go down for, for a fan. But, you know, thinking about, you know, when, when football stopped, we were a Premier League team. Now, when it comes back and, you know, fans are back allowed in the stadiums, they're going to be back down in the championship. How how disappointing is that going to be to, you know, for fans to wrap their head around? Yeah, that'll be really tough to take. I did, I did feel... Obviously, you always feel for teams when they get relegated, but to be relegated in empty stadiums and to not even get a send-off from their own fans must have been a, a really, really sad day for them. And then when fans are able to come back and they're playing championship football, uh, that'll obviously be brand new for the fans as well. And uh, it's just it's all about how they manage to bounce back. And if they can, then uh, then fair play to them. Let's see how they get on. Um, now, the, the result that kind of sealed the fate of those two clubs is uh, West Ham won. Aston Villa won at the London Stadium. Uh, it, all the excitement happened in about a, 
a two-minute span. Grealish in the 84th minute. Yarmolenko scores a goal from a huge deflection in the 85th minute. Um, but Villa Villa are safe after this this result. But the the big win over Arsenal last week is is what keeps them up. That's that's huge for Villa. I I definitely did not expect them to be one of the teams that stayed up. Yeah, they they uh, they just managed to save themselves right at the end. Fair play to them. I I'm with you. I thought going into the uh, into the lockdown period that they were uh, more or less dead and buried. But I think that I think uh, Dean Smith deserves huge credit just for resetting, for working so much on uh, making them more solid uh, defensively. They've been much harder to beat. They've managed to grind out some really important results. None more so than that one will draw to just get the point they needed against West Ham and stay up. So well done to them. Yeah, and how much do you think uh, Bournemouth should feel a little bit unlucky after uh, you know that whole goal line technology mix up between Villa and Sheffield on the first game following the restart? Yeah, that was that was unbelievable. I think Bournemouth will rightly feel really aggrieved by that because that's inexcusable to have something like that happen where you've supposedly got seven cameras uh, actually there to monitor the situation and none none of those cameras picks up that the ball goes over the line. To me, that's just unbelievable and uh, it's a massive stroke of luck for Aston Villa and it does make the situation for Bournemouth you you feel all the more sorry for them. Yeah, and you know that. That would take a point away from Villa. They'd be level with on 34 points yeah. with Bournemouth and Watford, and the goal difference would... Uh, we, no, I think it, Villa might have just stayed up, actually, with the, with the goal difference. But obviously, if that if that doesn't happen, things things change all around. So, um, But it, it's good on Villa that they are the team with the so-called great escape this season. Um, yeah. I'd love to see a, a team that's really... All, against it with you know they really just got to knuckle down and, and go for it but uh two wins in the final four and they've got another season in the Premier League now they may not have the uh the, the same squad that they had this season with you know Jack Grealish is rumored to be leaving there's uh doubt around Tyrone Mings as well but um do you think that they're going to lose a lot of their good players um i think that that remains to be seen. Uh, I do every time I've seen seen Aston Villa, a lot of their hopes do hinge on how Jack Grealish performs. I think they always look to him um, as their best player, their captain, their leader to uh, to produce for them. He's clearly operating at a higher level than a lot of his teammates, and I wouldn't blame him if he were looking at that and thinking, "Well, I deserve to be playing at a higher level." Uh, we've seen he was linked with Tottenham before, the move didn't happen. He doesn't know himself if he's played his last game for Villa. Were they to lose him, that would be really difficult. Uh, they had obviously invested heavily last summer. Uh, still didn't look great for a lot of this season. They may have to spend big again, make a lot of changes. But at the same time, they'll be hoping that one or two of their best players, they do manage to keep hold of them now that they're safe. Yeah, it's, it's going to be tough to um, to hold on to some of their better players. Um, a lot of teams that, are, you know, that have struggled to play good football are going to see the bigger clubs come in for him and Villa is just another another case of that. Um, now, before we wrap things up, um, there's been some controversy about, about different organizations giving out the player of the year and whatnot. Um, you know, Jordan Henderson received one of... I can't remember uh, what who, who gave it to him, um, but people were upset that Jordan Henderson received player of the year. Um, who do you think deserves player of the year this season? 
Uh, well, I think w- watching Jordan Henderson win the uh, the Player of the Year award from the Football Writers Association was a decision that you certainly can't disagree with in a sense that he's led Liverpool to uh, a first top flight title in 30 years. It's, it's a phenomenal achievement and he's he's improved so much under Jurgen Klopp. He's been brilliant this season. I still look at it for me personally. I look at uh, factors such as winning the Premier League title or securing European football, avoiding relegation. That's all a team effort and you get team rewards for that. The player of the season award, I still think is it's very much an individual award. It's in the name and it should be given to the greatest individual player. And just for me personally, I see no better player. I see no better performer in the Premier League this season than Kevin De Bruyne at Manchester City. So if it were my decision, I'd be giving it to him. At the same time, I don't I don't dispute or necessarily disagree with the uh, the football writers call of saying Jordan Henderson, but I still can't, me personally, I can't see beyond De Bruyne. I think he is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I, listen, if it's if it's an, an American style of, uh, you know, an, a most valuable player, then it's one thing to give it to Jordan Henderson. But when it's just supposed to be the most outstanding player, the best performer, yeah. regardless of how the team does, Kevin De Bruyne is it. 20 assists, he matches the Tyrion Henry's assist record. Um, you know, just... Just an unbelievable season for for De Bruyne at at Man City, in which a season in which not all things went to plan, but um, you know they still have the Champions League uh, to to look forward to, and um, I think De Bru- I think we might see De Bruyne get it from as the uh, the PFA uh, Player of the Season. I think that's definitely a, a strong possibility. But if Jordan Henderson does get the award. I'm not going to be upset with it. I'm just, it's okay to disagree with these decisions. You know, there's the, they released the team of the year that, and there's always one or two where you're thinking, I don't know how they got in, but, um, you know, that's that's just the nature of awards, is it not? Yeah, I'm I'm with you 100. percent I think it would be really interesting if 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 we saw a different outcome between the players' union and then the football writers. Uh, so that that'll be that'll be definitely one to keep an eye on. But for sure, Kevin Kevin De Bruyne just produces these moments. He's consistent throughout the season as well. As you mentioned, he's equaled that assist tally. He scored two mind-blowingly good goals uh, against Norwich as well. That just shows his quality. Absolutely phenomenal player. Someone who I definitely like. I like watching him above maybe all other individual players, and so for sure, yeah, what a, what an unbelievable player. Now, before I let you go, um, who do you think is the favorite for the Premier League next season? Um, I I've got I've got a hunch that Liverpool will defend their title again next season. I think we're we're heading into a really interesting summer transfer window. I think. In, in the previous year, Liverpool didn't need to invest heavily. Indeed, they did not invest heavily and they were still able to produce the phenomenal season that they have done this time around. I look at Manchester City as their closest challengers. Uh, defensively, suspects still need to replace uh, Vincent Company. I don't know how many top central defenders you can even get on the market. So I think they have some catching up to do. And for that reason, I, still, I look at Liverpool as the most complete side going into next season as well. It wouldn't surprise me if they defended their league title. My pick is going to be Man City, but I think it's going to be a lot closer. I think it's going to be more like uh, last season than it than it is this season, as far as um, you know. Maybe maybe we do get a, a title race into the final day again. I'll be hoping for it, but yeah, you know, Alex, thanks again for coming on. This was Alex Ailing. He's a writer for Last Word on Football. You can find all of his all of his pieces over at lastwordonfootball.com. 
um, or soon to be last word on sports.com. We'll, we'll, we'll see when that switch is made. But And you can find him on Twitter at Alexander Ailing. Thanks again, Alex. Thank you so much. All right, that was Alex Ailing. You can find him on Twitter at Alexander Ailing. He is a fellow writer for Last Word on Football. Um, not much else to, to add on to that. We will be back next week to discuss the FA Cup final. Jared will make his return, albeit from a distance uh, now. We will be back to our our internet recordings instead of recording in the same room. A little A little sad, but a little easier on uh, the technical side of things. Um, and then after that, we look forward to uh, some footy ado European Nights episodes with the Champions League getting ready to restart in August. So uh, you can look out for that. As always, you could follow us on Twitter at footy ado and at ilto 8 podcast Follow us on Instagram at footy ado and ilto 8 productions And as always, even though I've got to do it alone here, Pardon our French.